In the heart of the state of the art, at the dawn of the next stage in entertainment, you found no proscenium. found no proscenium the voice of everything immersive i'm your host noah nelson and welcome to episode 390 this week on the show i'm joined by no pros arts editor laura hess to talk about the 2023 without walls festival a production of the la jolla playhouse which took place in san diego last weekend and which we both attended although never did manage to run into each other despite having a few hours of overlap before we get into the episode a disclosure. I've been working behind the scenes with the WoW team for some stuff for the future, but we'd also be remiss if we didn't talk about what is the most significant performing arts festival in the United States for works with non-traditional staging, including immersive works, which are our focus here. Okay, with that done, a few announcements. We are just one month away from the next Stage Immersive Summit, and the momentum is kicking in with badges and class passes starting to fly out the door. Join the next great gathering of the immersive creative community as they come to Los Angeles for three days of dinners, salons, talks, panels, and making new connections across the breadth of the immersive field. At the end of next week is when we begin to schedule both the workshops for those who have bought class passes and the affinity dinners. So this next week is the best time to get your badge and get your choices in if those are your bag. Not only is our invited guest lineup stacked with guests from Riot Games, Meow Wolf, Moment Factory, Games for Change, the Royal Shakespeare Company, and La Jolla Playhouse, but the badge holders make up an equally impressive roster of folks from the biggest companies in the business to rising indie creators. And with so many participatory sessions, Town Hall, the Salons, the Affinity Dinners, and just 200 badge holders in total, you'll have a chance to meet them all. No, really, that's how we build this thing. It's all happening June 2nd to 4th in downtown LA at the historic Herald Examiner Building, which now serves as the campus for Arizona State University's California Center. Thank you, ASU, for being our hosts. And two blocks from our official hotel, the Ace Hotel, there in downtown LA. Take your immersive career to the next level at the next stage. Finally, a shout out to our latest backer, Michael Campion, who is keeping us just on the right side of our 3K a month goal. Seriously, we're like at $2 over. <laughs> we were like at like 40 last month. Uh, it, is a, it is, as I note, a near thing right now. And I know times are tight for everyone. But if you find real value in what we do, your $2 or $5 a month pledge makes all the difference in the world over here. Hitting up patreon.com slash no proscenium not only powers the podcast and websites for no pro and everything immersive, it also gets you into our member only discord. Uh, this is our only source of income. This is my only steady source of income. And the math doesn't really work. So if you can, <laughs> it means a lot. If you're already a backer and so many of you are, Drop a review on iTunes or your podcatcher of choice and share the articles you find useful on your social media platform of choice. It helps 
immensely. We are always no proscenium, except on Insta, where we are no underscore proscenium. As always, big thanks to our sustaining backers, Samuel Mustry, Chris Woolman, Samantha Davison, Eric Shamlin, Elaine, Daryl, John Boulette, Jay Bushman, Jerome Joseph Gentis, Tom Leonetti McGuire, <gasps> Winthorne, Ryan, David Bassick, Richard Ayers, Lonnie Hanson, Lecker Lacool, the Ministry of Peculiarities, and Jan Budman. We're also on the lookout for community partners who are up for working out special deals for our backers. Hit me up at noah at noprosinium.com for details. And now... On with the show. Last weekend, a few of us here at No Persinium headed down to San Diego to check out La Jolla Playhouse's Without Walls Festival. That is the site-specific and non-traditional theater and performing arts in general festival that happens in San Diego. This edition, which is now on an annual schedule, took place at the Ratty Shell at Jacobs Park, which is the home of the San Diego Symphony. Uh, I was there and also there, uh, although we were at different times and did not see each other despite how many people i saw at the festival which for me was was one of the best parts of it all is our arts editor laura hess hey laura hi noah so we had some crossover with what we saw we also did some totally different things uh, or spent more time on some stuff than others but i thought we'd start with the collab between uh, the symphony and La Jolla uh, for this one, which is a shared space. Uh, maybe you can explain it uh, a bit because it's a, a bit of an unusual event. Yeah, I'll, I'll do my best on this one. Um, so a shared space, um, it's really about utilizing your phone as an instrument. So this is a communal co-creation. Um, you are working with um, on the lawn there in front of the shell, there were live musicians who were performing in real time. And uh, there was a, a QR code that was very easy to scan. And through that, you could use your phone as its own instrument, um, which had really interesting sounds coming out of it, not necessarily related to like a traditional uh, the traditional sounds of an instrument that you might be familiar with. There were kind of, you know, crackles and, and sort of um, popping or, or uh, sort of, I don't know, what do I want to say? Like sort of wet squiggly sounds, which was really fun. Um, yeah. So this they, was they, they about. Sort of worked, the, 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 they had two modes. They had shake and tilt, which would tell you what you were doing with a phone. And over time I realized that shake was kind of like, you know, an egg shaker sometimes like a tambourine, but mostly like an egg shaker. And the tilt was very much at times a rainmaker uh, or mm -hmm. like a, a weird, you know, digital uh, torture droid <laughs> rainmaker based on the sound <laughs> that was happening. But it functioned like a rainmaker because, you know, the, the, pitch and the, the pitch and the tone and the speed of everything was based on how you tilted it. Right. A rain stick, yeah. I should say, not a rainmaker, rain stick. Y'all knew what I meant. Yeah. I think I said like wet squiggly, so I, I think your, your your definition was probably closer anyway. So there, so there was that that mix. So there were the there were people playing, like the, the symphony was playing parts. Like how how exactly 
how did it work as a gestalt for you? Well, so I think what was um, my, I really leaned into, so I've talked about some really gorgeous, innovative productions in the past, like The Adjacent Possible, which was a remote production. You experience this through your computer. You're not seeing, there's no, you know, no video on, no mic, but it is, again, co-creation of a musical work. Um, And this was so social. And I really just leaned far into that. My whole approach Mm. for this festival was last year, I really was trying to see as much as possible. And I am someone who really likes to um, just just do as much as I can. I really want to take it all in. This year, I decided, let me really just try to enjoy what I'm going to get a chance to see. And I went for a shorter period of time overall. And so I really just leaned into the social part of this. I wasn't trying to explore all aspects of the experience and uh, try to like, you know, understand the experience. I was really there just to, just to play, play with the people that I was with. I loved watching the, uh, the musicians who were on the lawn, I loved how they were interacting with other attendees milling about. So for me, it was more of kind of the, the macro, just taking it all in um, and just enjoying the process of play. But I would, I would sort of dip in and dip out of actually using my phone. And sometimes I was just observing. I love that you mentioned, um, you know, kind of approaching this really socially uh, the, the festival overall I, I wonder if some of that was because it was free this time so kind of the the pressure to do it all to like get to your tickets and make sure you know you were extracting maximum value was just obliterated because well it's all free and you either got in or did a standby and can and a lot of stuff there was plenty of standby room sometimes literally standby for, for certain pieces. Um, Do you think that factored into that, that decision process there? I I thought about it. And I think that I I actually did feel ultimately a little bit torn because I was so, I thought it was incredible that it was all offered at no cost to attendees, to, to participants. I thought that was just really amazing to make it, um, you know, inclusive and accessible in that way. So there was part of me that was, again, really wanted to milk that for all it was worth. I wanted to scoop up reservations for everything, but because of the time frame, I really did have to limit it. So it for me, it was actually less of an issue or it was less of a factor in terms of this being... Um, free at, at no cost or being a price ticket. And it was more just my time limitations. Yeah. I also found a shared space to be most interesting when one leaned into the social aspect of it. Cause like I wandered around, uh, you know, with a, with a can of overpriced beer in my hand around the lawn uh, and, and, you know, was, was like going close to where the musicians were and then like just kind of waving my phone around or trying to get like a good timing going on and it was shaking. And like, I also, I didn't hear a lot of other people's phones and 
the basically the musicians had like a measure or two maybe even two is too many maybe just a measure of music that they would play uh during a given sequence and then there was there was an ipad you could that people could were hitting and like advancing things forward or changing which which mode that our phones were in and also what music they were playing uh the symphony was playing but it wasn't really until i i stumbled on uh jessica crean and unique trapman o'brien uh, i spotted them on the lawn and ran over and we were all playing with our phones together and and specifically in the in the tilt mode we were kind of just like you know, rotating our phone, all three of our phones, like around each other. And that was creating interesting sounds, even though they were all making the same sound because there was a slight difference to where our hands were as we were kind of, you know, circling each other. Uh, it, it, the sum of the parts was, was greater, right. You know, like the whole was greater than the sum of the, of the parts is actually what I'm trying right, to say. Right. Right. Um, and and I do think that that could be like there were you're never you're not going to be able to check off every single box in, in a situation like this. I do think that yes, I had some um, there were some sound issues for me in terms of what I could isolate and how then I wanted to interact with what I could isolate. And so, but that's that's also the joy of being in this large group outdoors at this beautiful location and having the live musicians there and what was carrying when they, I, I was, I wound up sitting uh, for a spell near a very large drum and completely, it was sort of off to the side and the musician was playing other instruments as well. And, and classic, very kind of comedic trope of like when he got around to hitting the drum absolutely I'd completely forgotten it was there and so there were, there were really you know I mean kind of like levitated for a moment so there were really lovely moments that come out of those communal experiences where it's not about it does sound like the three of you had this really cool moment um and it's also okay if people didn't have that it's it, having that just enjoying this sort of cacophony that um and then things that would come into um kind of my own little orbit, little, little sounds and snippets that would pop in. The whole thing was such an interesting progression because it wasn't this perfectly controlled environment. Mm. Well, we've spent a lot of time on shared space. So I want to yeah. move us forward from that one. Uh, I'll do a quick hit on some of the, the, the dance based works that I saw. Uh, some of which were one of which was on the lawn, uh, another of which was over at the basketball court. That's I mean, that's roughly important uh, just because of the surfaces people were performing on. Um, and and I, I tagged this one as the dance piece. I don't really the, the movement pieces. So there was there was uh, choreo and fly, which uh, there's always a choreo and something at the without walls. And there's a theme. And what was sort of striking about that one is when we got there, there were just kites everywhere on the radio on the radio shell. Like people were just, just flying the kites left and right. Uh, and, and they were able to do that for the entire length of the show. And there was, uh, once they started the, the pieces, there was one, uh, that really felt like it was capturing the vibe of, of the kites and the theme of flight. 
And then as it kind of went on, the the theme just seemed to completely disappear. Uh, there was one piece, there was just two performers just rolling on the ground when the theme was fly. <laughs> I was like, well, that's a really interesting choice to just not fly. Like, I get it. There's like, well, you know, if the theme is fly, then what we're going to do. And it, it, it just felt like it overthought itself uh, into being something that was also very hard to see because you're in this big public space and people are standing all around. You got two performers rolling around on the ground and it's just, just in front of, uh, in front of the tech table. It's just not very visible. And by the end, there was a, yeah. yeah, Right. Uh, And then in the end piece, there was a, there was a bit where uh, there was something involving feathers. And unfortunately, unfortunately, by the time they got to that one, uh, we had kind of tuned out because it was just hard to see what was going on and the pieces didn't really seem to be on theme so much and and didn't didn't reference the kites that were in the air at all. Uh, oh, that's interesting. So those are flying overhead, but there's no mm-hmm. integration between the, the movements in the kites? Only, it really only felt like the first one was I mean they don't they weren't dancing with a kite, but they were their movements seemed to be very much inspired by that. Mm-hmm. Um so and, and this is one of the you know one of the tricks with like a big public big public performing art, right? Like and this is something you'll there's a lot of it wow. And you kind of gotta go for spectacle because you're in a chaotic environment there's lots of things going on. There's lots of people. There's kids running around who aren't really interested. Uh, big puppets work really well. Uh, Salty Water, which came up after Choreo and Fly, uh, had big puppets. It was very engaging for the kids. Um, I, again, kind of like let that one kind of wash over me through osmosis. Uh, but there was there was this big squid puppet they brought out, like a, a kraken that was big and orange and seemed to be made of like bubble wrap which i thought was fascinating um and i was sort of like absorbing the vibes of the space it was also i don't know like two o'clock in the afternoon the sun was overhead and i already had like you know a beer by that point so i was i was definitely like you know a little a little soft focus in that moment (laughs) um but uh what I was, I was really digging the vibe and I thought that I could tell that kids were really into what was going on and that yeah. was fantastic. And then there was this piece from the Netherlands, which was really an acrobatics piece called 360. That's the one that was over when I saw it on the basketball court. And what was interesting there is they gave us all, um, not all, but they gave, they had a certain number of little rolling stools and they they shepherded us around to create like lines at one point that they would like do bits in between they would they gathered all us all up at a certain point and were doing bits in the middle of us and it's the kind of thing where you know if you were on the lawn and watching it would have just been like okay they're doing acrobatics but because you were up close uh, you could really see the strain and the stress that what of what they were doing, what it was doing to their bodies. Right. And that's one of the things that's really interesting in this type of work. When you take really intense physical theater um, and put it up, up close, it becomes its own kind of magic trick. 
Uh, it's mm-hmm. one of the things that makes Sleep No More so special is watching the choreography uh, close enough that you can see them sweat. And it just, I, I suspect it sort of creates a connection between you and the performer because when you see a body in that kind of stress, you can't help but start to physically empathize a bit with what's happening. Um, At least the way I'm wired. Um, I think you both empathize and I think it, it helps you become very present. Uh, I mean, if you're not, if you're not already, I mean, to, to notice that, to notice the work that is going, especially when you can see the, the, the physical manifestations of that work, you can see the sweat. um, And especially if that performance is being delivered in a way that it makes it look very effortless. Um, you know, having that reminder of this is not effortless. This takes incredible skill and endurance and, and conditioning. And I think that also really grounds you. It really, it, it really centers you in addition to having that layer of empathy. Yeah. So that, those were sort of three big movement pieces that, that I caught um, and over the course of this, there, there were some others in, in the festival as a whole. Uh, but I didn't, I didn't, I wasn't around for those nights. I didn't get a chance to see some of that stuff. Uh, even though I was very jealous of, of those who did, um, you, uh, and I caught a little bit, but did you stick around for the whole of brass roots? I did because I had missed it in Los Angeles and I oh, really, Oh, wow. I had, and I had so profoundly regretted that. And, um, it, it just was a com- sort of a mix of things. And I was so frustrated with myself for having missed it when it was in Los Angeles. So I was very grateful that there was another chance to get to experience it. And for me, that was actually my launch into uh, this year's wow experience. So it was the absolute perfect kickoff. That's incredible. Yeah. That that also means we were both, we were both there because like uh, uh, Todd and I swung through, caught the opening number and then we had somewhere to go. But for those who don't know, we're talking about Brassroots District, Live in the Lot, Summer 73, uh, which made its debut in 2021 in Los Angeles in a parking lot (laughs) in the Arts District, ran for about a month and then, uh, and then Delta came up and sort of chased you know, everyone away from doing art for a hot minute. Uh, and it's this, uh, it is both a concert of like the debut concert of this fictional funk band called Brassroots District. And it's also this story. It kind of, it's kind of an immersive theater as happening as, as a retro concert uh, all, all at a go. So what, what, how do you feel about it? We've, we've talked about it a lot on the show before, uh, but uh, I'd love to know what you think. Well, I'm going to repeat things that people have already said, but um, just to kind of add my voice to that chorus, the band itself is incredible. You can't, there's no way to have a bad time listening to, watching, dancing to this band. These are incredibly talented musicians, great stage presence, like all the charisma. It's it's just, that is such a good time in and of itself. And because it is set in 1973, um, no one had a, a smartphone at that time. And so I love the, um, it's a very simple device. It is incredibly effective. 
I didn't see a single person pull out their phone. When we checked in, um, for anyone who ha- hasn't been, um, we were given a little yellow plastic like Ziploc, basically. And no one takes your phone from you. You are handed this little pouch, this little plastic pouch, and you're directed to put your phone in it, seal it up, you know, tuck it in your pocket, your purse, whatever, and do not pull it out during the whole show. And it is amazing how effective that was. I didn't really think about my phone anymore. Um, A couple of other people that I chatted with, they said they just kind of have it, reached for their phone in their pocket felt the plastic pouch and then they were like, oh, right. And it, I didn't see a single person pull out their phone. And it is such a gift to be able to, again, be very present um, in a show. I'm someone who I love taking photos. I, it's a way that I kind of connect further with an experience, but I'm also very grateful to be forced to not engage with my phone and to just enjoy the show. Um, Yeah, it was such a, and it's a very gentle show in terms of, I was chatting about this with a few people, um, the interaction, since we're referencing Sleep No More a bit, um, and I'm going to reference it when we get to La Lucha, um, it's very gentle in terms of the interaction. For people who may not be sure about immersive theater, is this something that they're new to? Um, Are they not necessarily comfortable with interaction? The, The way that this storyline is presented that falls under that immersive theater umbrella. Um, it's very welcoming, but it, it, it's also very gentle. Nothing is forced on you. There's no kind of forced interaction. So you can really interact with the performers um, as, as much or as little as you like. And I really appreciated that design. It was very, it was very nuanced. Yeah, there's, there's definitely something really great about this show being people's first taste of an immersive experience that involves performing arts and involves actors you can you can interact with and play with because Mm -hmm. yes there's a story going on but the story is told in a way that is just kind of ambient and a happening the core of it's the music the music is fantastic and all the things you're being asked to do are the are generally the things you would do if you were just really enjoying yourself at a concert and by right. by being shaken up out of your norm your normal mode you you wind up really enjoying yourself at the concert uh, and if you yes. want to get a little more into it if you want to push a little bit into the characters lives like the 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 performers are game enough not to like derail everything but they'll give you a little bit of flavor and it's such a smart construct and it can serve a lot of people. I, I, I think the people I could tell, like maybe the production team was a little like concerned about, you know, there were just, just lots of folks there who maybe didn't really know what they were getting into and, and maybe didn't want to like adhere to the vibe. But I, I, I imagine I can't wait to talk to them. Cause like, I really want to know what their take was on, on a, on a very different, audience an audience that wasn't like trying to hunt them down but were sort of served served this experience up um because i gotta imagine uh those folks were just charmed and and i hope the hope the team was charmed by them yeah yeah um you caught uh you caught something i didn't 
which uh, we've talked about on the sh- on in the pod, not the pod. We've talked about it on the site before because it was part of the Philly Fringe, and that is Fair Trade, which is the collaboration between Jessica Crean and Unique Trapman O'Brien, uh, who are both Philadelphia-based artists who brought this out to Wow, uh, and it's very exciting for us to see that kind of action happening. Um, the kind of work we're covering on one coast coming over to another. It's just, that's exciting in itself. Um, what is this piece for those who don't know? And, uh, and yeah, what was your experience of it? So even within our no proscenium community, um, I do, <laughs> there are times where I really do try to isolate myself from some of this information out of with the hope that I will get to experience something for myself. And I was, I knew the, the basic premise for fair trade, which is um, two participants come together and uh, there are instructions given ahead of time. You have some items that you are at, at least willing to exchange. You, you need to bring things with you. Uh, and this is more specifically laid out, but I won't get into all of the details. Um, and uh, it is an anonymous experience, at least in part. You have a facilitator. Um, in this case, for me, Yannick was my facilitator. And he leads, it's roughly an hour long, um, and he leads the two participants through I mean, like other pieces by Jessica Crean and Yannick Trapman O'Brien, like it, it is an incredibly weird, um, really playful, humor-filled, but also very graceful and vulnerable exploration of the human condition. It 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 really is. Um, it really is a a beautiful piece. And so you are guided through and there are different, this is not, these are my words, um, but there's kind of different chapters of the experience um, or at least that's how it resonated with me. Mm. And I was, they're beautifully integrated um, and similar to, to other works of Jessica's and Yannick's. It is a, it is both an incredibly kind of, solitary experience or maybe a better way of phrasing that is it's a very it's a deeply deeply personal experience and it is also um a a communal exchange um both with the facilitator and with the other participant um, who you may or may not wind up meeting and there's a lot of considerations around choice and what is your your own values and how you want to move through the world it was more than i was expecting not because i didn't have high expectations it was that they really exceeded my expectations and i was surprised by how moved i was i at times i was um delighted by the levels of of humor so an incredibly, an incredibly layered, rich experience. Oh no, I feel extra bad that I missed it. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry. Uh, let me ask you this. Did you make a trade? 
I did. And what was interesting about my experience was that there were some, um, there was a hiccup, um, which is, which is so interesting. This was not at all planned, but it was so fascinating how this wound up embodying questions and themes of the piece. So, uh, the participant and I, um, had reached an agreement and, then the trade wasn't exchanged as it was decided on. And, and I don't know why I didn't speak up. Um, I think this was purely a miscommunication. I do not think that my fellow participant was, uh, you know, trying to pull one over on me. Like, I think this was purely just a miscommunication. Um, but it was really interesting then how, because it is, it's all, there is so much about what, what is fair? What do you think is fair? And, um, and, and how does that, what does that actually mean to you? And how does that show up in your life in all sorts of ways? And in that moment, I knew that this wasn't what we'd agreed to, but I just kind of went along with it. And Mm. it was interesting, all the emotions that then that pulled up, um, which was so perfectly like, the, the piece hadn't even ended and I was wrestling anew with some of the things that we had just sort of worked through both individually and together. All right. <laughs> One of the ones that I caught that, that you didn't was uh, clean the stables, uh, which is, which was one of two uh, pieces here. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to reach over on my desk and get something because there were two pieces in the festival this year uh, that were part of uh, the Heracles project. Uh, one of which, uh, which, uh, and each of the, each of these projects, uh, this is about like the environment. Um, there's a, uh, it's a multidisciplinary creative research project in 12 tasks tasks reimagined by the incubator collective uh so that's that's the that's the project the 12 tasks being of course the 12 tasks of hercules uh for those know their mythology uh uh, task nine was the belt of hippolyta uh uh and it's that one was called glacial incantations it was a uh an ar it was a physical and ar installation along one side of uh of the shell um that that one uh the the physical installation was interesting there were these kind of like plastic blow up plastic ice 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 sculpture people but then the ar component of it seemed to just be that you had to download an app and then you activated a qr code and then the qr code would per, would have a static photo appear superimposed over a rock uh which seemed like a whole lot of effort for very little uh, payoff mm-hmm. when uh when the you know and there was also an audio track but that audio track was not linked to it that was a different audio track you were running and there was a different app and all that so i tell you this in part because going into cleaning the stables because it's stable mate was uh was this project where the tech was very much not um cohesive and seemed like a lot of effort for very little payoff. I was a little bit trepidatious. Um, uh, we arrived uh, just in time. There were all these people sitting around in these red 
uh, you know, janitorial, big, big shirts that kind of have felt janitorial in nature, uh, that said Heraclean on it. Uh, they had name tags that were not your name. They were character names. Uh, and at first I thought that everyone was like a ringer. And then I quickly realized like, no, this is just, this is just people who just had gotten there like before us and were settled in. And we, we did have to go to a website. We were given a, a big laminate card uh, that had all of the character names on it and short descriptions. And you read your description of the character whose shirt you were wearing. Uh, and then you went into the app and you you found your character's name. You moved some sliders around. I, I'm not entirely sure what those did <laughs> in that moment or whatnot. And then you waited for everyone uh, to be ready and everyone was to hit the go button at the same time that would then start a audio track um, that was to some degree interactive in that we were wearing headsets that had microphones and occasionally we were asked to talk into the microphone and answer a question. Other times we were asked to talk to each other. Oftentimes we were told to just like keep on pretending we're cleaning. We were given completely impractical cleaning instruments and then told to go clean the trees, which was hilarious. Uh, there I were... have to jump in here that like for anyone that hasn't seen the photograph of Noah from yes. his wow diary, <laughs> this will, it is worth it to look at that while you are listening to this part. Yes, there is there is a photo. I put it in a selfie of me wearing the shirt, holding holding a, a an extended toilet brush uh, that was like neon green, uh, wearing the headset and also my sunglasses, uh, just because I was wearing my sunglasses outside. And so, like, what's interesting about this one? I'm I'm I. It's not that I have mixed feelings about this one. I'm very clear about this one in that I really enjoyed myself. And it was overstuffed. Like there's Mm -hmm. one or two elements too many in terms of what's going on. If only because those one or two elements aren't being paid off. And the thing that, that kept getting me that I wasn't really clear about is that we would be told we were going to be given a choice. And we were told, if you want to do this, go to this flag. If you want to do this, go to that flag. And so I would hear that. And then almost before I could start moving it would start talking to me about like i had made a choice already and there were a bunch of moments where we were asked to like do something you know in character uh in terms of talking to another person and that didn't seem to have any consequences and there was one moment where we all did rock paper scissors and it was supposed to be that uh the winner was supposed to recite something and the loser was supposed to recite something else. And the woman, the woman who I was with, we tied and I was trying to indicate her to her that we should both say the winner stuff together. She didn't hear me because her headphones were up too much. And then she took offense that I was saying the winner parts and actually kind of got a little dickish with me. Uh, Even though I was trying to get us to like both do it. And so that was, that was really off putting, but that wasn't, and that's, you know, that's me trying to play with someone in turn, in the terms of the game, but the game wasn't supporting the state of play we were in together, which was that we were tied. There was no injunction of if you tie, do this. So 
trying to keep the momentum and trying not to of that was zany and trying not to just you know stand there looking at someone listening to the radio um but there's there's no affordance for that and and that was sort of my main problem with the piece is that there were all these things dumped in which created affordances which then weren't paid off but the core experience of wandering around a park uh, participating in a ritual of cleaning the stables of which doubled as cleaning up the park, but not really. <laughs> and having like weird techno dance break moments where you're supposed to like keep on doing the same motion over and over again. And, and indeed at one point kind of probably just weirding out any normals in the area was delightful. <laughs> um, so Really joyous, really delightful, um, you know, irreverent with like a, a, a hint of poignancy around the environmental themes, but just, and the tech to some degree was working, like the web-based part of it, the fact that it was all being delivered by the web uh, worked just fine and there was no issues there. Um, but the, some of the stuff like, like un- unclear if there was like GPS stuff that was supposed to be happening. Um, and, and that moment where like there was no affordance for a tie. Right. Which, you know, if, if that lady had been like slightly more tightly wound or something like that, that could have maybe gone ugly. Mm-hmm. I'm th- just for the record, I'm, I'm thinking about this a lot more than I have in the past two days in terms of that moment with that lady. I have not been like obsessing over for that lady. And so I'm, just, I'm just sitting here going like, oh, yeah, that was actually, you know, come to think of it, that wasn't that great. Um, but like all that being said, like just the, the, the core idea, particularly because at one point it, it framed the, the, the story framed itself internally at one point as being like, this ritual that people did to try and like reconnect to like the, the, the Herculean power, the mythological power. Uh, and I was like, well, that's just a really interesting idea. So there's, there's just a lot of ideas and it's like, if there were 25 ideas in this, I'm like cut five, Yeah, you know, cut five ideas, let it run clean. Give us the room to breathe a little. Um, which is often, you know, that's a note, you know, it's actually the opposite note of something one of my teachers gave me a long time ago, which was, you know, to just like, you just gotta let the air out. Right. You know, sometimes, sometimes you want to tighten things up, you know, like you just, you just gotta get, you gotta get things tight. Just, you know, you gotta let the air out or you gotta let it breathe. You know, Mm -hmm. that's often the condition of a piece when it's about 85% of the way there. You know, you just have to, you have to find out, does this, does this need room to let everyone breathe into it because you're trying to cram too much in or are you giving it too much space and you're treating everything too preciously and you got to let the moment be the moment and go on. And mm-hmm. in this case, they need to give some breathing room and they need to cut some stuff. Uh, and I think once they do, going to be really good. Okay. Yeah. Um, you caught something that I only caught a glimpse of and that's Birdman. Yeah. So, I mean, kind of, I guess the segue here 
um, is, you know, as you're talking about intentionality and design and having, you know, maybe 25 amazing ideas, but it is just too crammed in. Uh, Birdman absolutely nails the design. Now, this is a very different experience. So, so Birdman, um, this is a roaming uh, puppetry art installation. So it is three gigantic birds. You have live performers. They are on stilts. This is, I do want to give a shout out. So this is by the um, Close Act Theater based in the Netherlands. Um, so they, they roam. You could see them. I saw like the tips of them at one point during daylight hours, but the real effect you, you got at night. So there, there's a mix. The design, I think, is so, so spot on. It's, it's, I just think that it's actually like perfection. They are, there's kind of this otherworldly sort of alien aspect to it. There's a prehistoric, huh. you know, kind of dinosaur um, sort of skeleton. You know, there's things that both look familiar, but look like maybe they've been, you know, it's a fossil, it's it's um, excavated skeleton, but it also looks like it could be from the future. And the, the detail I keep saying, but it's difficult to describe. I would encourage anyone to look at, you know, photographs or video, but the, the eyes, which are not uh, manipulated by the, the puppeteers, um, there's kind of this um, rotation. I don't know exactly what the design was, but the, the, the actual like um, irises look like they are sort of articulated or they're sort of moving, they're reflective, hmm. um, really stunning. So what happens is they move, at least what I saw was there was sort of this processional to kind of this stairwell area, which is how you get up onto the lawn. So there's this, um, there's this space that is, it, it feels a little bit theatrical. Uh, there's trees and the birds do interact with the trees. And I think the thing that I want to highlight overall um, is that, well, two things. So there's no, you know, there's no script, there's no dialogue, there's no overarching narrative. They, the birds come along, they do interact with each other a little bit. They do interact with the trees, you know, acting like they're kind of eating from the trees. Um, they interact with uh, the audience. Um, but this is a very kind of straightforward presentation in terms of these are giant, beautifully constructed puppets. There is sound design. And uh, again, they could articulate um, kind of the, the wings would come out and then through their upper body movements, the puppeteer's upper body movements, they could manipulate the head. And so they're doing a lot at once. And the makeup is really stunning. And the thing that landed with me, other than just, again, like you're referencing spectacle, this was a like gorgeous spectacle. People were so engaged. And at one point, because of where I was standing, they, one of the birds started to walk directly towards me and I was making eye contact with the puppeteer. So you have different situations like War Horse where the puppeteer might, uh, which is a theatrical production, um, and the, the puppeteers kind of 
they sort of recede, recede into the background in a sense. Your focus really is on the puppets. Um, and in that case, some of them were giant horses. There were even some like ducks. Um, so whether it was large or small puppets, you're not focused on the puppeteer. You really kind of are able to tune them out. In this case, when I was making eye contact with the puppeteer who had this amazing makeup on, and I was absolutely gripped by both having this moment with the puppeteer, which felt terrifying in a really delicious way. And then the, the, and then also interacting with the bird puppet. And a lot of times you don't get that dual interaction that feels both separate, but also really seamlessly integrated. And um, yeah, it was just incredibly joyful. It was absolutely perfect for any age. It's something where you can just dip in and dip out. It's spectacle, but it's, it's beautifully crafted. And the sound design felt, again, it felt kind of like creepy, uh, but also familiar. It felt like a dinosaur call, but there was also something in there that felt like um, the pings of an underwater submarine. There were things that you're like, I, I, I sort of know this, but there's enough like disconnect that again, it really helps to focus you in the moment. I loved it if it wasn't obvious by now. <laughs> no, it wasn't obvious. I'm so glad you made that clear. <laughs> I mean, you, I you could do, go on. <laughs> yeah, you, you do. You do make me sad that, like, you know, I, I I missed it to some degree. Just accept that I was super engrossed in what I was watching when when Birdman was happening when I was there. And and that's that I was watching Drive, uh, which is a play by uh, uh, Sharon Wheatley, um, who uh, is uh, some folks who are into Broadway uh, will know her as uh, one of the folks in Come From Away, who which got its start at La Jolla Playhouse. And this is uh, this is a site specific theater piece um, that tells the story of the summer she spent in 2020 during the height of the pandemic uh, doing a cross-country trip with her wife and at points with uh, her her two kids and a dog as well in an RV. Um, then they, they took the kids uh, to visit their dad from the East Coast to San Diego and then kind of drove around the Western United States for a while and then and then drove back. Uh, her wife is a stage manager. Uh, Sharon, of course, is an actor, and it's it's just one of those like exceptionally well made plays in terms of the writing. It's based on the memoir, and Sharon wrote it herself. Uh, it's performed by her; she's playing herself, and uh, her uh, one of her co stars from uh, Come From Away, uh, who is uh, specifically <laughs> Astrid Van Weeren, plays Sharon's wife. Looking at my notes. And, um, you know, it's a well-made play that's site-specific. It's funny. It's poignant. Uh, the, the crux of it is about Sharon uh, sort of processing uh, that her youngest is, is going through a gender transition. Uh, and she looks at that and kind of casts that against her own you know, sexual and gender identity. Uh, but it, it's all done in a way that feels you know, natural and not like, like someone trying to recreate moments in their life, not, not something that gets overly, you know, 
broken down or over overly intellectualized. It's just really lived in. Um, mm. At one point, I chose, I had a, the right to sit, but I chose to stand and then regretted it when like after like the second scene, they like were handing out Capri Suns to the people who were seated. And I saw like uh, Landon and Landon's girlfriend and Lauren Bellow, all of whom were like there. Those are those folks uh, in the LA Risk Theater scene who like I could have been sitting next to all get Capri Suns. Lemonade Capri Suns. I was like, why didn't I sit? Um, I love I, that this is a big regret for you. From I was so thirsty right then, sing. though. <laughs> I it was I was thirsty, and they're giving out lemonade, and they're giving out Capri Sun lemonade. Um, and then like, but then like afterwards, uh, there were s'mores. We got s'mores. Uh, we got to make s'mores over the fire that they built. Uh, and uh, Astrid heard me complaining, and then did a bit with me. Um, and then got me got me a Capri Sun. So I'll be forever thankful for Astrid for for both doing the bit with me because uh, I felt like I got a one on one. And then after that, we we went inside the RV and checked it out. And uh, one of Sharon's kids was actually there and said, "Oh yeah, no that that was the real RV." Like somehow magically, they got the actual RV they were in for the show. Wow, um, which is just kind of kind of weird and magical and, and wonderful. I mean, it made a bit of sense. They like, they returned the RV to San Diego. So there's, there's some of that going on, but um, it was a, it was great. It was, it was, you know, with the kind of thing you want site specific theater to be. Well, and I think, you know, as you, your kind of lead into this was that you, you weren't able to like get to see all of Birdman because you're focused on drive. You're watching and, and sort of the, again, yeah. the, the frustration of not being able to see. And I think that's a, such a great sign of a massively successful festival, Um, you know, to not, to not get to see everything and then to have these conversations, you get to experience it at least a little bit through someone else and to have that itch that didn't get totally scratched in a way that you're excited to go back. Yeah. I got, I got tapped on the shoulder by uh, the, the press officer for La Jolla who wanted, who was like, Oh, Birdman's happening right behind you. And I looked behind and I was like, wow, it really is. I'm really into this right now though. I'm going to go back to watching the play. Um, and, and, and the fact that I was so engrossed and, and one of the things that was interesting was like drive started a little later, uh, because of sound bleed from brass roots, right? Like there's another factor of this thing, right? So like they started a little later, um, and in D- and then there's like, you know, the announcements being made because they're doing another choreo and fly in the shell at the time. And, you know, uh, it didn't for, for us at the audience, it didn't take anything away from it. Afterwards, uh, the actors were kind of talking like, oh, we, you know, it's like, there's all this stuff going on. And like, we, we don't know, you know, and I, and I told them like, don't worry about it. Like, you know, it's more distracting for you than it is for us. We're engrossed in what mm-hmm. you're doing. So like, you don't have to worry about us losing focus because there's stuff going on behind us. But it is it's definitely not easy for them based on, you know, the, the layout of it, which is one of the challenges of working in this kind of setup. Uh, because right. the 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 sort of the ad- advantage of the Ratty Shallows of space, and we're about to leave the shell and, and go to a different space entirely, uh, of this area of space is that everything is very convenient. It's very close. There, there's like one show that's like a five minute walk away and there's another that's a five minute drive away, but the vast majority of everything is right there. But it right. it does mean that, you know, sound, you know, can be an issue for some things. And, um, but, but from a audience point of view, it was definitely a lot easier 
audio wise uh than the the past few wows have been at were at liberty station um yeah which which has a which is a, a wonderful space in terms of layout and space for people to do things but has the unfortunate fact of being in the flight path for san diego airport and at certain times of the day a lot of the day there's this airplane going overhead like every six minutes so um that that was always uh disruptive to say the least and i do that was not happening say- here at all Right. I, I want to take just a quick moment because I had a lot of frustrations with last year and I had frustrations around that issue. There were also some other production and logistical issues um, that I ran into. And I, I really want to tip my hat to Amy Ashton for this year because I do feel like the new location, I mean, yes, you're going to have challenges, especially with a festival like this. You're always going to have challenges and um, it's going to be incredibly demanding to try to give every piece exactly what it needs when you also Mm -hmm. have this really great overlap that I do think is also just a huge bonus that there were things that for me, the way that different pieces segued into one another or their their proximity, um, I found that to be hugely additive. So massive challenges and yeah, really tip my hat to the, the programming, the new location. There were so many things where for me, this was uh, just a, a, just a massively joyful experience overall. All right. So, and now we're going to leave there. <laughs> we, we leave there. We leave the ratty shell. We go five minutes away to uh, the Museum of Contemporary, Contemporary Art San Diego, which is the home for La Lucha, uh, which was in previews uh, this past weekend at WOW. So everything we're about to talk about is the preview version of the show. Uh, but was they were pumping a good number of people through. Uh, this is the latest from Optica Moderna, uh, which is led by David Israel Reynoso, who was on the show recently. Uh, so if you listen to that episode, you can get a real big breakdown of what the show's about and and everything. Uh, and again, that's, you know, and I walked into the show with, with that fully in mind. Um, at, at its core, uh, what this is, is it is a, uh, it is a, a immersive theater piece in the sense of immersive theater. Uh, eight people go in. They are fitted with uh, this this little, um, uh, you know, I mean, functionally, they're blinders is what you're fitted with uh, that, so that your, your vision is slightly obscured. Uh, the peripheral vision is, is obscured and you're focused down into a little square window. Uh, you wear headphones. There is a soundtrack pumping into your headphones. Uh, and depending on how loud you make it, really pumping in. Um, and then... Eight people, uh, you, you you go in together, you you're, go down a hallway uh, while functionally blindfolded. Uh, you're each taken in front of a door that you can then, you can see the door. And everyone uh, is, the door's open, you go in, and depending on what door you're in, you might be in uh, a, a scene where there are four of you and one actor, where there's two of you and an actor, or there's uh, one of you. Uh, and an actor and uh that uh from there uh you the audience is sort of threaded in and out of this story that revolves around these four characters uh all of whom uh at the beginning of the show are wearing uh luchador masks 
uh, hence La Lucha. Uh, This is a dream world uh, of Mexican wrestling, uh, where the idea is that taking from the the core of Mexican wrestling, the idea that if uh, if you're defeated, you're you're unmasked and humiliated. Uh, the worst thing that can happen to you in this world is that your mask is taken from you, or you take your mask off, and people can see your face, uh, and uh, you you can wind up being you know, branded uh, you know, dishonorably and kind of cast out of of the world of the luchador. Um, because you are, are no longer masked, and all of that is used as a as a as a metaphor uh, for uh, these characters' lives and stories and identities and desires, uh, and uh, that's that's sort of the show thematically in a nutshell. Uh, I know that we've landed on different places on the spectrum in terms of how we felt about the show. So, Laura, what was was what's your takeaway? Yeah, so um, I, I seem to be the the outlier, at least at the moment, or at least with the the little bit that I know. Um, knowing your take from your diary, um, I read Todd Martin's review in the LA Times, so I seem to have a, a just an overall like a different impression. And um, one of the things that really struck me that Todd said was that this was, so, so these luchador masks that the cast is wearing. And, and so there's no dialogue. No one is speaking. Um, this is really through, uh, you know, gestures, movement um, that you're understanding. There's some, there's a little bit of text at the very beginning on a screen. Um, and I have some, I just have some concerns about like how certain things were presented. So actually let me, let me back up for just a second. One of the things that, so my experience um, with David's work with Optica Moderna's work um, before La Lucha was just one experience. And that was a remote digital experience, all pre-recorded, no live performance. Um, this was actually part of digital. Wow. Um, and it was called Portaleza. And I thought that it was absolutely wonderful. I was really impressed by it. There was, there was interactivity. It was on rails. It was automated. It didn't feel like it. And I thought it was a really delightful kind of lyrical, abstract experience. Um, and one of the ways that you are sort of the, the introductory framework is through this optician, um, and so when we were led into this initial space for La Lucha, I realized that this optician framework uh, is a through line with, because I hadn't yet listened to the podcast. Again, there were other things that I just didn't want to know going into this. I wanted to go in um, without any of that. And I think what got what bumped me was that if the optician framework is going to be this kind of through line um, in terms of onboarding and kind of how you cross the threshold from the real world, you go through this kind of intermediary space of the optician um, and you're here to be fitted for your, with your kind of special uh, headpiece and how your vision is isolated um, you kind of have this sort of amazing proscenium that actually is is really helpful. These blinders that Noah's referring to, 
Um, there's things about that that I really love. But before we even did that, there was actually text about these the characters, the La Lucha characters, and a little bit about that story. So I actually felt kind of bounced around a little bit. And all of this is couched with, again, the awareness that this is in previews. This is an incredibly ambitious show. There's so much about it that does work that I think is really extraordinary. Um, but I had a hard time kind of bouncing between, I've got some information about La Lucha, these four characters. I'm now going through this whole kind of optician situation. And then I'm, I'd really kind of forgotten some of that information um, about La Lucha and those characters. So that to me was actually a little problematic just from the jump. Mm. What I also want to say is that then in this like onboarding, you get fitted with your headset, with your headphones, and there is this, um, <laughs> there's this other experience before you're led into the doors that Noah's talking about that I thought there's a rope and um, you your vision is obscured. And I thought this was fantastic. I was so startled by that moment. And I don't really want to say anything else about it because I do right. think that it, it, it really, it caught me off it's, guard. It's executed really well. Like it's executed like, really well. And I think again, the thing in terms of when we talk about magic circle and crossing the threshold, um, this was something that was executed beautifully. It's not an overly complex idea in and of itself, but it, it sort of shakes the way that I articulate it is that like it, it sort of shakes your etch-a-sketch brain. Mm -hmm. Like it was so disorienting for me that I'm not thinking about anything else. I'm not thinking about other shows that I saw or do I need to do laundry when I get home? I, I It really kind of, again, cleared the slate in a way where I was able to be fully present Yes. So I really appreciated that, but I, I wanted the ordering a little, I, I didn't want the La Lucha story to be integrated with the optician onboarding. To me, that got kind of muddied and then I wound up having some trouble later on. Yeah. I, I think the advantage of the track I was on, right? So I mean, item the first, right? You know, so in, in, in a weird way, this is sort of a 1.5 run for me, right? Because I'd walked... Mm -hmm the bear set like there was like nothing there was just the walls right like not a single bit of decoration uh some of the the the, the big set piece um kind of at the end of like the first part uh before before the uh, dramatic turns start to happen um, I'm, I'm signaling to laura you know <laughs> verbally like what it is i'm talking about <laughs> like that space where we all are <laughs> Uh, that was just plywood. <laughs> like the shape was there, but it was just undecorated plywood. And I didn't yeah. even know. I, I honestly thought the next space was something entirely different. I'll tell you what I thought it was when I walked it. Uh, and I, so I was so surprised. I was, oh, this isn't what I thought it was going to be. Um, uh, like my imagination like went a totally different way while walking the set. Um, but the track I was on was the track of the character Belen, who is uh, the sister of the groom like we're told that there's you know there's a wedding going to happen sister of the groom who is in love with la lucha right like belen is in love with with uh, with lucha uh who is the the bride to be uh her brother is the groom to be and um 
this information I was given in the first scene through pantomime, through through some very simple pantomime where she had, uh, uh, and and just get ready. Like if you, if, hopefully, I should have put a spoiler warning. It's like you know, like we're gonna spoil parts of this. Sorry, I'm about to spoil it. Jump now to where the music is. Just leave. <laughs> get out right uh get out now because it's it's there's no safety from here right this was your last warning (laughs) i'm going to say the thing now um she's got a photograph and the photograph uh is uh she takes a photograph out and she also has the wedding invitation and she points to uh the man's name uh morfino i think is is his name and points to the man and then she points to lucha's name and points to lucha and then she points to herself and points to the picture. And then she takes the picture and folds it Mad Magazine style so that no longer is she on one side of the groom and Lucha on the other, but she folds it so the groom is no, is no longer there and Lucha and Belen are together, right? So like very, very, very simple storytelling. But I am like, I had the narrative from from that perspective straight up down pat one of the things i thought was interesting about todd's write-up is that todd kept referring to lucha as the widow because he was really he wound up being really grounded into lucha and morfino right so like mm-hmm. where you start which track you where you start with i think can determine greatly whether or not the narrative is flowing really cleanly and I and I think that one of the things technically that was difficult because I was also aware of the people like we, we you come out of the piece and you go into a cantina and you're kind of with the group you're with and it's a it's a great moment uh, to like kind of check in with other people and and the strangers who you we were going through the piece with and not talking and we had two women with us who had no idea what was going on like they were really lost like I'll, I'll cop to that there were people really lost I saw some people walk in to the cantina who I could tell like they just weren't having it. These are also of course people who were wearing like shirts with a luchador mask on them. I think they thought they were coming to something entirely different. Wow. Uh, and some of that's some of some of that's the nature of what the marketing on the show is doing. Uh like I think people are coming prepared for one thing and not expecting I don't think people are expecting a tragic queer romance uh based on the marketing. <laughs> which is yeah, which right, is what right. it is. It's a tragic queer uh melodrama, right? You know, with with luchador aesthetics it is a, it is not, you know, um, it's not Mexican wrestling, you know, like, and if you think you're getting Mexican wrestling, uh, particularly if you're a, you know, you, you could be severely disappointed, uh, and maybe even out of sorts, um, which is, you know, funny in its own right in some ways. But, um, I, I suspect because I haven't seen the other three track, the other three starting scenes. And I don't even know if like, it's a guaranteed track. Like you can, there's some, there's some mixing and mishmashing that happens. I don't know how they're picking people to go in different ways and get one-on-one moments later down the road. Like, did you ever have a moment where you were, it was just you and the performers Were you pulled off? No, I was with, no, I was, I was with other participants the entire time, the size of our group and exactly who else was in it did change, but I never yeah. had a one-on-one. Yeah. There, there's, a, there's at least two one-on-ones in there. Uh, Cause there's one at the start and they, and they, I definitely watched them pull someone away in the middle at one point. Um, for some reason we had seven people in our group and not eight. 
Uh, so like, I, I don't, <laughs> I don't, I don't, I don't know. I don't know how, what happened with the math there. Um, but, uh, I, I don't, I don't know if the storytelling, uh, because that, that moment of you being literally shown, having someone point to me and look me in the eye to like, make sure that I'm following along. Right. Like that's such a, that's such a great way to be grounded into what's happening. I don't think that's happening in any of the other scenes. And to your point about the video wall at the beginning, which is kind of giving us, it's the prologue and it's kind of giving us the, the dramatis personae. It's telling us there was an auto accident, you know, uh, you know, where I think the frame is like, Oh, we're going into someone's memories. Right. You know, like that's, that seems to be what the idea is here. The sort of hinted at without being told directly. Um, but be, but there's no there's names but there's no visuals and um with the exception of lucha uh from what i could tell uh the other three characters are played by different actors in the different acts so right. you only have their mask the shape the the pattern and the color of their mask and you're under different colored lights at times. So it can be, yeah. re, it, it can be easy to forget who is who because you haven't been looking at that mask pattern forever. And, and one thing I thought was like, well, maybe if we saw the mask uh, during that video thing, but you have a really solid point here in, in just the fact that b- being given the story before we're taking, taken through the optrician, right? Like, like, there is an order of operations, maybe even problem there, you know? Yeah, I think so. And I do think that that, is, that could be, I mean, not to get overly prescriptive and, and, you know, sort of step outside the lines, but like, I do think, yeah, there's a, there's a moment before this kind of etch-a-sketch moment that I'm referring to. I think there's actually, there, there is a good space. Um, there is a good opportunity where then you've gone through this whole sort of like, you're having this eye exam. This is sort of this really interesting framework. Um, you know, stepping you into this space, um, and that's its own kind of prologue. And then you have this sort of specifically La Lucha prologue that helps to ground you into like, okay, this is the story that you're entering now. I did, I, I do a huge fan of Todd Martin's, but I do disagree with him around the masks because, um, so yes, you do have multiple actors, playing, I mean, again, I'm in agreement with you from from what I know, it's not like this is my work, but you have multiple actors who are playing the same role. Um, They don't necessarily have the same, you know, height, shape, um, you know, the costuming varies because it's from scene to scene, it might be a jump in in time. Um, I could not, so one of the things Todd said was that, you know, there's some dim lighting throughout, it's very kind of melancholy um, is the tone. Totally agree with that. The sets are incredible. I absolutely felt completely immersed in these stunning worlds, incredible attention to detail. And I think that's one of the reasons why I was so frustrated that um, Todd had said like, this is very um, like emotionally driven. It feels like the, the, you know, the goals of this piece um, and David's, goals in this are like, it's, it's really about capturing these emotional moments and not so much the plot or the story. And, and for me, I actually, I disagree with that. I come at this more, I'm, I'm going to be anchored. 
I spent so much time trying to figure out, wait, is this, who is this? Is this Bellin? Is this, am I, I just felt like I was wasting so much time and energy trying to understand the, the sort of rules of this world through, okay, oh, oh okay, the, they're the same masks, but then I can't really tell, is this the same color as the mask in this other scene? Um, especially when this other actress is like so slight, so tiny, this other actress is much taller. Um, so those things actually really did take me out. And I wanted to know the story. I wanted to understand the story much more so than I, than I did. And um, I, I, it's so rare that I will ever say anything like this, but so having a background in mime um, really came in handy in just my sort of analysis of the show. I, I was, I really wanted there to be sort of much more restraint and design around the gestures and around the movement. Um, there was such incredible attention to detail to the sets and there were, there was a real spectrum with the performers. There's one scene, a solo performer that's in like a boxing ring. And this person seemed to clearly have a dance background and there was such economy in movement. Um, and so even though I felt like I didn't necessarily understand exactly who that character was, it was also early in the show, um, but I really felt something based on what to me felt like highly choreographed, very economical movements. And there were other scenes where the gestures just, it, it felt like there was a lot of repetition, um, but in ways where I was like, because to, to your point, like I, there were certain things where I did not understand Bellin's relationship to Lucha. I had Lucha's track, so part of it mm. may be that. But I also felt like there were so many gestures that were kind of used over and over again, but seemed to be used in different contexts. And one of the things that you do in mime, I mean, we had discussions, um, our mime troupe around like, what is the common denominator here? What is the universal gesture for this type of activity? Um, we're trying to communicate this particular emotion or this particular thing. And so there were things where I just felt like I was so distracted on a visual level in terms of color and, and light and not being able to track the masks. But I also felt like if there's going to be no dialogue, I have no problem with that. But it really felt like gesturally it wasn't supporting the story in ways that I think would really help everybody. And some of that is also just in terms of knowing how to behave. I had a conversation with someone about this as well. Not so much that, like you need to know what your role is as an audience member in a hyper-specific way, but that you don't necessarily know how to behave in a space and how that can, and like to your point around the marketing and maybe there's people coming in and not knowing how do they as audience members who are interacting with the performers, what is expected of them in, in this space? Um, so I do think there were some things there that for me were, they, they, I bumped up against them and I said 
at the top of the show, I was going to reference Sleep No More in relationship to La Lucha. And I was really wrestling with why do, why are there certain things that aren't bumping me that don't bump me in Sleep No More that are bumping me here with La Lucha? I don't have all the answers to that, but I really felt myself and some of that may be my own ignorance around the luchador culture. Um, so I don't know if this is an issue where like, I'm, this really isn't made for me. I, I like to think that it, that it is. Um, but I really struggled with not having a clearer story. And so I, I, I wanted more of that so that I could really settle into the space. Well, I, I, and I feel like it as a gestalt, as like a, a dreamlike sequence, it, it really it really works for me. I think it's also interesting, you know, you, your experience of Optica Moderna so far was, was Portaleza, which um, was very different from what the kind of work they've done before. Uh, Waking La Llorona and Las Quintaneras, uh, in some ways, like there's, there's thematic elements in La Lucha that almost feel like they are, they are, they are directly related to Las Quintaneras. Um, like there's, there's some repetition of story, uh, in, in, in some direct ways around the relationship between, uh, the, the two women. Um, I do find it interesting that you, it, it didn't click for you that, uh, Lucha, uh, that, that Belen was in love with Lucha, uh, and there was a, there was a dimension of that there. Um, that I feel like if you were on Lucha's track and didn't get that, that's really interesting to me because of course I read, um, you know, I, I was given a note, <laughs> like the note that Lucha gets at a certain point uh, that, that sets some things in motion. Like I was carrying that myself uh, mm-hmm. from, from, from my scene at Belen uh, into, into the, into the later scene. Uh, and so there was such a, for me, because I was in that track, there was such a clear, story that was happening like i i i was holding the macguffin that put the in, that created the inciting incident um that moved the story forward and if that's if there are other elements that are not grokkable for like the people who are vibing with the other two characters uh, okay. or the other three, other three characters then then there's definitely some some work to be done there but I'll say this much, like the Belen track is, from my point of view, is pretty clean. Um, and generally, like Optica Mardona's vibe is dreamlike, you know, mm-hmm. um, it's, it's, it's not supposed to be literal. It's supposed to be a little mysterious, you know, more than a little mysterious. Um, so uncertainty is okay. Um, questioning you know like when i i remember when i came through waking la llorona um by the end of it i was like wait was i la llorona through most of it or was you know I, at one point it felt like i encountered but other times it felt like i was embodying and mm-hmm. that you know i don't use the term gestalt loosely when I refer to Optica Moderna's work, because it has gestalt dream therapy logic from my point of view, uh, where at any given moment, 
you might be that character. Now you're outside that character. Now you're the chair, right? You know, like, like take it from this point, take it from that point. Um, and, And it creates that experience, um, as I've always understood them. Um, but being dropped in for the first time, it may not, it may not get that impression. Well, and I do think, I mean, Port was very dreamlike and it totally Mm -hmm. worked for me and was really stunning. I think so to, to just be maybe a little bit, um, more specific and, and hopefully offer any clarity like the, so Lucha has physical gestures that she does with her. So the four characters are, um, her father, Lucha, her fiance, and her friend, Belen. And um, there are physical gestures that she did with her father, with her fiance, and with Belen. So you have, um, you know, what I thought was platonic love and affection for her friend, Belen. Then there's romantic love with her fiance. And then there is familial love with her father. So th- that's where I'm, I'm kind of like, I, I didn't pick up on this. Um, now that's mainly like Lucha to Bellin, but like it, it just didn't translate for me. And again, I may really be an outlier here, but um, I just felt like there were things where, again, without any dialogue. And I loved the, I actually really loved the restrictions. Like I love the restrictions on what I you know, could see and and could hear and that there was no dialogue. I was very happy to be a part of this world and this experience. Um, But I did find that I think because um, I I, I don't know if some of it, I guess maybe it's just something that I'm going to continue to think about because it it really, there is something there that felt very different for me where I thought it was really lovely. I was enjoying it. And I, but I still, I think I was invested. I think if anything, it's a, it's a, it's a real compliment. Um, I just wanted to know more about exactly what was happening and not that I needed it all like perfectly spelled out, but I definitely was confused and I really was so enjoying my time. I just wanted to know a little bit better about, okay, what is happening? You wanted some more of of what my, my professor uh, Muhammad Kauzar would call narrative clarity, right? You you wanted that. And, 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 and that, and there's nothing wrong with, with wanting more of that. And, and I got to go through the piece with intense narrative clarity, right? <laughs> and, and I have, and I, and I, and I'm really enthusiastic about the piece. And that narrative clarity I have is enabling that. So the the puzzle right. piece for them on this one does seem to be: can they bring more of that narrative clarity in to uh, at least the lucha track? And I think I think we'll have to turn to the audience for folks who got the Morfino, who's like the 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 groom, and the the father, whose name I can't remember at all. Uh, but the father's track, whether or not they got narrative clarity, like what was what was that story about? And but it's also you know what's what's a joy in the abstract for me about this piece. And we got to go head off into the sunset here because uh, we're, we're hour 22 in and what was supposed to be an hour. Uh, and I got I to gotta get, I got to get to a show. Um, is that it has been a long time since I've been to a multi-tack dark ride show. 
and been able to have this trade notes with people about what they saw mm-hmm. um in a way that that felt like there was um a, a real need to trade notes a point to it and and that the intention was there for us to do that um because we weren't being given some big set piece at the end of like a gamified thing um that that also had threads you know running in and out of it which is mm-hmm. at least in LA like all I've seen in like the past year or two when it comes to there being multiple tracks is something like that something that felt more like instanced massively multiplayer role-playing games than a dark ride doing this and this show made me realize how freaking much i missed that format and how how good that format is in and of itself so uh hopefully uh, hopefully this, you know, the folks are coming down and checking it out. Like they'll be inspired to get back into working in this mode. That that's, mm-hmm. that's one of my big takeaways from this along with one of the other takeaways that I have. Yeah. Um, yeah. Agreed. Any, any last, last thoughts on the, on the festival as a whole before we ride off into the sunset and lament that we I mean, can't just... run around, <laughs> run around the <laughs> festival this weekend. Uh, <laughs> I mean, I really, I am thrilled that work like La Lucha is, and the rest of the festival, that this work is being made, it's being produced, it's being supported. I I just want there to be, I mean, this is, uh, you know, me on my like little soapbox kind of every day. Like, there's so much value and joy in this work. Um, So I just want it to continue to be supported and for that to keep building because these are extraordinary experiences and uh, I'm, we're very lucky to be able to like, you know, go down to wow. I really wish that that these were, that these platforms would get larger and larger um, for all of this. I mean, some of this work is, it's absolutely stellar and I would love for more people in other places to get to experience it. It really can be so transformative and that is not, that's not hyperbole. Indeed. Well, once again, uh, this has been our look of our little window into the 2023 uh, Without Walls Festival. Uh, I'm sure I gave some disclosures at the top of the show. Also, slash reminder myself (laughs) to give some disclosures at the top of the show. Don't worry. I did. I did. They'll happen. Um, And, uh, but, you know, actually, let me sandwich, sandwich, if you've forgotten, it's like all, you know, we've done some behind the scenes talking with the without walls team. So it's like, we're, we cannot review. We can only share, but look at us not reviewing being brutally honest because that's the people we are. Um, <laughs> uh, can't help it. Uh, but, uh, but know that, uh, you know, we, we, we have a vested interest in, in the festival as a whole continuing on as well. So uh, both, both from just wanting something to cover and also, uh, you know, getting, getting to work with that team. And I'm, I'm really, I'm excited about what they've pulled off this time, where they're going, uh, and, and what it could mean um, in in a in a real way. Uh, and um, you know, the, the, there's there's a lot of folks who look to Wow, uh, not just here in the, in the Southland, but like throughout the country, throughout the world. It's an international festival, uh, and it is one of the bigger platforms there is for the kind of work that we love. So. 
thanks again to Amy, to Mia, to everyone at the Playhouse for putting it on. And uh, looking forward to next year, something fierce. Once again, I want to thank Laura for being uh, my co-host. That technically, that's what we did. Uh, my co-host this week, and uh, and again to the team at La Jolla Playhouse. Uh, for uh, putting on a really great festival. This was a long one. Uh, I'm looking at the clock. It's like 1.31 right now uh, in terms of how long this is. It's not 1.31 in the morning or something like that, but you've listened to this for a while. So I will spare you anything longer. You've heard a lot of me, um, uh, except just to say uh, we are really looking forward to getting the next stage up and running uh it's it's crunch time baby uh and next week you're gonna hear about our sponsors uh it was a pretty couple of pretty cool sponsors have uh jumped in to make sure that we can pull this thing off so uh it's um it it feels good it feels good uh we're we're ready to do it we're set to do it now we just got to get you there all right um so that's that's what's up with that um Nothing, nothing else on on the radar at the moment. I I can't see past the blinders. But next week, uh, another episode. I don't know what it is. It might be one of the ones that I have in the can. It might be something I'm recording next week. I I almost barely know what day it is anymore. So, uh, but it is Friday uh, when I'm doing this, and the podcast is coming out. And now I'm going to stop babbling and do. The associate producer of No Persinium is Parker Sella. See, I stopped babbling. Music for No Persinium is by Chris Porter of the Speakeasy Society and Solar, the podcast. Special thanks to Shivano Lachlan for voicing our intro. The No Pro podcast is written, edited, hosted, produced, and mixed, when there's mixing, by yours truly. I'm Noah Nelson, and until next time, I'll see you at the show. <laughs>